The reading is from Exodus, chapter 23, verses 21 to 27, and Exodus, chapter 24. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If, you, if ever you take your neighbour's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, in what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy from of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come with him. Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we all do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made of you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. They were, there was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up onto the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the mists of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Our Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together to uh, hear from your word 
And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, as we do so, you would help us to understand and that, Father, by your Spirit, you would give us hearts uh, that want to live in response to what you say. For we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're thinking about contracts. We're thinking about contracts. You excited? Uh, I guess for lots of us, uh, given your response, contracts don't sound very exciting. And I don't blame you because contracts aren't very exciting on the, on the whole. But the thing is, contracts are very important. We need contracts for the whole world to work. See, you can't really go through a day without entering into some sort of contract or living by some sort of contract. Don't believe me. Anyone, uh, well then, ask yourself this question. Anyone clicked agree to one of these pop-ups? Put your hand up if you have. Yes, so quite a few of us. Uh, I guess there's an um, Android equivalent as well. Um, or has anyone gone onto a website, tried to buy something, and then had to click one of these buttons. Put your hand up if you have. Yeah, almost all of us. See, we enter into those sort of contracts all the time. And um, it doesn't just apply to sort of formal things like this. We can have contracts like uh, meeting a friend or arranging to be in town at a certain time. See, in a way, they, they are contracts as well. Trouble is, because our world is full of contracts, um, you can get kind of contract fatigue. You can get fed up with contracts. I mean, who here has read all the terms and conditions when those pop-ups uh, pop up? Put your hand up if you have. Be very impressed. No, no. That's what I thought. In fact, we don't care about these terms and conditions so much that this company did an experiment a few years back. And um, what they did, they put a Wi-Fi hotspot uh, in a place in London, and... Um, People were able to sign up for this Wi-Fi hotspot, but there were terms and conditions they had to agree to. But they put in something called a Herod Clause. Now, you'll know Herod. He's um, the king who at Christmas uh, killed uh, the male children in Bethlehem. And so they put in a Herod Clause that read, the recipient agrees to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Can you believe six people put agree? Well, fortunately, they couldn't enforce it uh, as much as they wanted to. But the point is that we just tend to think of contracts a bit like that, a bit casually. And when it comes to contracts with friends and people like that, actually, in our world, contracts can be broken. I mean, how many of us have agreed to be at a friend's party or to go to uh, town one day and then thought, actually, do you know what? I, I'd rather go somewhere else. Or how many of us have had a friend who's done that to us? I know I've done that to others. But in this passage, God makes a contract unlike any other. It's a contract in the sense of we agree to something, he agrees to something. But it's not a contract that we just kind of skip over. And it's not a contract that can be broken. Now, the reason this is important for us is because God makes some really significant promises to us. He promises never to forsake us. He promises that in Christ, we are completely safe in Him. The trouble is, because of our contract fatigue, we can often think that God changes His mind, or He might not mean exactly what He says. But we're going to see, not only does God make contracts, 
But God cares about contracts. And third and finally, God's contract changes everything. See, first of all, God makes contracts. Now, remember where we are. Let's uh, do very quickly items. Here we go. Chains equals slavery. Oh, I've had a mental block. There we go. Um, Bush. Sorry. No, you tell me. What is it? Bush. Yeah, let's turn it on. There we go. And then we had... Where's the staff? Oh, it's there. It's camouflaged. There we are. Staff, uh, which symbolized plagues. Yeah, well done. Really good here. Um, And then we had the lamb symbolize Passover. And then we had the bread. No, we didn't. We had water. Look at that. Brilliant. Um, And then we had... Is that real bread? Manna, yes, which didn't look like that, but you get the point. So, and now, where are we? Anyone remember where we are? A mountain, Mount Sinai. And we're still there. We were at Mount Sinai last week, and we're still there now, and we're going to be there a long time. Now, why are we talking about contracts at all? Well, because on Mount Sinai, God makes a contract. Um, But the word contract isn't used. It's the word covenant. Here's what um, 24 verse 7 says. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. See, I've used the word contract because a contract is a covenant, and a covenant is a contract. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, um, I felt pretty bad about Joe last week, trying to force feed him an apple against his will. And so I thought I'd make it up to you, Joe, by offering you a chance to win some chocolate, which I know is your favorite. Unfortunately, due to budget cuts, it's a penguin. I hope that counts. It's not really chocolate, is it? Uh, But um, it's worth going for anyway. And um, I don't want to just give it to you. I want you to, you know, do something for me. And um, I was wondering if you could do some press-ups. How about 20 press-ups? Do we think Joe could do 20 press-ups? Yeah. 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 (laughs) The jacket jacket's pretty tight, so we allow you to remove the jacket. Uh, 20 press-ups. So I've just said there, Joe, if you do 20 press-ups, I'll give you the chocolate bar. But the thing is, I quite like penguin bars. And do you know what? I've munched my way through a whole multi-pack of penguin bars, and that's the last one and I haven't had my dinner yet. So I'm not sure I'm going to give that to Joe. So you just stay there. Yeah, see, Joe's kind of doubting it, isn't it? Uh, Isn't he? Uh, But imagine that I could draw up a contract, okay? Uh, Just so happens I've got a contract here. And the contract says that the client hereby is uh, agrees to engage a contractor to provide the services of 20 push-ups. Uh, the term of this agreement will begin on the 7th of March and will remain in full force until the completion of services. The parties agree to do everything necessary to ensure the terms of this agreement take place. The contractor will charge a client a, fat, uh, a flat fee rather of one penguin bar and uh, invoices are to be submitted to the contractor within 30 days of doing the press-ups. So imagine I had that contract, well, I have got that contract, and I signed it, um, if I had a pen. There we go, I'm going to sign it. 
There we go. And then I'm going to give it to Joe. And he's going to sign it. And then have we got any lawyers in the room? Well, that's a shame. Have we got any trustworthy people in the room? <laughs> I don't know why lawyers and... Yeah, let's not make that joke. Yes, we've got some trustworthy people. So could you just, Joe, hold up that contract and just check it's... There's two signatures there. Yeah, great. So um, who's now more certain I'm going to give this penguin? <laughs> well, the illustration didn't work. But anyway, should we see if Joe wants to do it? Do you, do you, how do you feel about that contract? Bit of legal reading, yeah. You, I've entered into a contract. Okay, do you want to give us the push-ups? What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Should we count? Wow, he's going for the... Wow, Joe. Yeah, yeah, go for it. One, two, three, four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is impressive. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Well done. So, um, as much as I love to eat this penguin, I have made a contract, and so I'm going to sanitize this penguin. I hope that doesn't affect the taste. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy that penguin. Now, I know that was a silly example, but, <laughs> but that's what contracts are designed to do. They're meant to make us more certain that both parties are going to keep their end of the deal. Joe did the press-ups, I gave the chocolate bar. And actually, God enters into contracts uh, like that. He makes a covenant with us. See, becoming a Christian is not just that we hope God will suddenly be favorable to us. It's not that we just uh, think that God's on a whim and he's kind of decided to like us. Actually, the moment we become a Christian, God enters into a formal agreement with us. Now, what difference does that make? Well, secondly, we see that God cares about keeping contracts. God cares about keeping contracts. See, um, I signed that contract with a pen. Joe signed it with a pen. But this contract is signed in a very different way. It's signed... Did someone say blood? Yes, someone's a step ahead. It is signed in blood. Now, Moses, uh, when he makes a contract, he kills two oxen. Um, I had to look up what an oxen was. They're these things, okay? So pretty big. Uh, you imagine the sort of um, blood that's produced from one of these. And uh, we read in chapter 24, verse 8, uh, verse, um, verse 6 rather, that Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. And then verse 8, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made in accordance with all these words. Now, I was really hoping to get in touch with a butcher and to get a basin full of blood, but apparently it's not great for the carpet uh, to have blood, and it's a bit weird. So um, I've got the next best thing. I've got um, a basin of sort of um, confetti. <laughs> and what Moses does is build an altar. Um, so 
He builds an altar which symbolizes God's part of the bargain. And uh, we read that Moses throws blood. So we're talking a lot. He throws it against the altar, okay, to show that God has committed uh, to his people. See, God makes a promise that he doesn't ever break. Uh, Why does he do this? Why does he sign a contract with blood? Well, to show us that he will not break his promises. Now, there's a band called Joy Division. Ask your parents about it. I think they were big in the 50s or 60s or 70s or something like that, in the olden days. (laughs) But they they are a really... uh, Sorry for offending most of the people here. Uh, But they are a really big band. And um, when they were signed, a guy called Tony Wilson signed them. And when he heard them, he thought they were so good that he would do anything to kind of sign this band up. And the band said to Tony Wilson, we're only signed for you if we promise that we can always walk from this contract. You don't own us, and um, we'll work for you. And Tony Wilson was so desperate that he wrote a contract, and I'm sorry if you're a bit squeamish, in his own blood and signed it, which is kind of weird, isn't it? But it goes to show just how committed he was to that relationship And it's similar here. God doesn't just make a promise. He puts his blood on the line, if if you like. He says that actually if this covenant breaks, well, my blood can be demanded. But actually, there's a second part here. Did you notice Moses puts it on the altar, but he also puts it somewhere else? Anyone know? On the people, yeah. So you ready for this? Who's cleaning up tomorrow? (laughs) On the people. (laughs) There we go. Oh dear. (laughs) I didn't think about that part. Now, you see the point. The people have also committed to this contract. See, the people say we're going to do all the words of this law. Now, we haven't had much time to look at this uh, tonight, but the chapters running up to chapter 24 are all the laws that Israel are meant to do. And lots of them are quite confusing. We think to ourselves, kind of, what are we meant to do? It's talking about slaves and oxen and people goring, uh, oxen goring people. What are we meant to do with that? It doesn't sound kind of like what we're used to today. But actually, these laws are not there for us to do as Christians in the sense that we need to keep them as a checklist. In fact, the Bible teaches us that actually if we look at these laws and think that we can keep them to be right with God, well, then actually we will miss the whole point of Jesus. But having said that, these laws, and you can ask me about this afterwards, show us what it looks like to love like God and for God to love his people. Remember uh, back in chapter 9, God said that he chose Israel to be a holy nation, a people like him. And here you see everyday examples of what that looks like. But this isn't just a kind of nice to have. The people commit to being this holy nation. Uh, Let me show you one example of this. This may raise more questions than answers. Uh, But let me show you one example. Chapter 22, verse 14. Here's one of these laws. If a man or woman breaks, uh, borrows anything of his neighbor and it's injured or died, and the, angel, uh, the owner is not with it, he shall make full restitu- restitution, rather. God put my teeth in. Um, so, um, I don't know about you, I'm just someone who's very clumsy, 
everything I touch breaks. Um, I borrowed my dad's laptop once, and I kid you not, I just turned it on, and it broke. Uh, my dad was not very happy. But it says here, if that happens to you, the, the, good thing to do, or the right thing to do is to offer to replace it. Do you see the point? It's, I know we haven't got oxen. Uh, we're not going to have an oxen that dies on us. But it's showing us that actually we care about our neighbor. And God wants his people to be doing that. Now, what difference does this make, this agreement? Well, thirdly and finally, we see that this contract changes everything. See, remember last week what the people were feeling. Remember, God came on the mountain. There was a loud trumpet blast, the cloud, and the people were absolutely terrified. But look where they are now in chapter 24, verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders, went up. They saw the God of Israel. They're under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Now, it's easy to miss what's going on here, but they are in God's presence, but they're not terrified like they were. In fact, they're so relaxed, they're eating and drinking. Now, eating and drinking is one of the most relaxing things you can do, and it's one of the most fun things to do with friends, isn't it? And here, they're eating and drinking with God himself. See, this covenant, this agreement, actually changes something. It means that his people can be with God without fear, knowing God and being known without worry. I guess that's something we all deeply wish for, don't we? No matter who we are. We long to know God. We long to be understood. But the trouble is we always have that kind of nagging doubt that God might be angry with us or God might be harboring up some resentment of us. Perhaps we stuff up massively and we think perhaps God doesn't love me anymore. But the thing is, the moment you trust in Christ, God commits himself to you. And it's not something he can go back on or it's something that's very light. How do we know that? Well, actually, we know that because Jesus comes and he makes another covenant. Uh, In fact, Jesus makes a new covenant. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, we read this, that Jesus, after supper, took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus gets a cup of wine, which looks like blood, and says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. And notice whose blood is on the line here. It's Jesus's blood. See, the people, they say we will obey God in everything, but the thing is, we know they don't, and we wouldn't be any better than them anyway. But Jesus comes, and he promises to bring us to God through his own blood. See, not even Peter, his best friend, could obey him. You'll know Peter denied Jesus three times at his time of deepest need. But Jesus went to his death to sign a new contract, to make a permanent contract with his people. Not by chucking blood on the people and blood on the altar, but by spilling his blood on the cross itself. 
Now, what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, it means the moment we trust in Christ, we enter into this covenant that God has committed Himself with Jesus' blood to be linked with us forever. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 puts it this way, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, the people on the mountain, they were eating and drinking with God, but the truth is that we are in that position as Christians. We can approach God with confidence. It's, it's the word boldness. It's the sort of confidence you see a kid run to their parent with. And that is amazingly true of everyone who is in Jesus today, that God has bound himself to us by his own blood. As we finish, I want to leave us with this picture here of um, John F. Kennedy, who's um, obviously a president from 1950s, 60s, 70s, something like that. Ask your parents. But notice in the picture, he's in the Oval Office, one of the most uh, impenetrable places on earth, and yet his child is there, I love that, poking his head out of the desk. And it's a great picture, isn't it, of the power, but also the intimacy. Because he's JFK's son, he can go into the office, he can play at the desk. And the same is true of, uh, with us and God. Because Jesus has made a covenant in his blood, we can have that sort of intimacy with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness to us. Thank you, Father, that you have committed yourself to your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that has signed that covenant. And we pray, our Father, that you would help us to realize that truth more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's just delve into Rob. What's the point of the law? Wow. <laughs> so, how long we got? Lock the doors. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, so, uh, you've probably picked up that this is a huge question. It's been a big question for the church for hundreds of years. So, I think I can give you 30 seconds on it now. Um, if you're really interested in diving a bit deeper, listen to the sermon this morning where I did do a bit more on this. Um, so, it's worth downloading that. Um, in principle, the law is not a ladder uh, for us to climb, but a mirror to reflect our hearts. So if we read the law and think, okay, we can climb that, we can do all the law, and then by doing that, we get right with God, actually, we will find not only we fail, but actually we will not believe the gospel. Because the gospel is a free gift. Uh, not uh, free in the sense of cheap, certainly not, but free in the sense that Jesus has done it all for us. So it's not that we look down that list and think to ourselves, I must do that or I haven't done that. Um, but that said, it is a mirror. And it's a mirror that points in two directions. First of all, it points out our own hearts. So I don't know about you, but as I read that bit of law, I thought, do you know what? If I borrowed someone's lawnmower and it broke, I'm not sure I would pay for it. But actually, that law shows me just what my heart's like. I'm more interested in keeping my money than loving my neighbor. But the mirror also points somewhere else because it points to Christ and what he's done. Because actually, he lived this law perfectly. And so the New Testament word for this is fulfill, that Christ fulfilled the law. So um, it's a bit complicated, but as I look back on the law, it's like I'm looking for a prism 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, through Christ and seeing how he's lived that law and to reflect his character as I try and live. Now, there may be huge questions about that, but that's my sort of one minute well done. answer. Well done. I think A debate that's written. been going for 2,000 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Good try. <laughs> right. Amazing. Um, there's a really good question here about what's the difference between the elders seeing God in chapter 24 and then Moses seeing God's back in chapter 33? Yeah, good question, because it's not that you can see God and live. Um, that, that seems to be the, the point in the Old Testament. Um, and Moses only sees the back of God. I think the best answer I've come across on this is um, that when it says they saw God, uh, the next um, sentence says there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire. So what I think that's saying is they saw God in the sense they saw under his feet, they saw this pavement of sapphire. Um, Ezekiel sees something quite similar. He sees sapphire as well. And uh, we're told that he sees something of the likeness of the likeness of God, uh, not even God. Um, So I think that's probably the best answer Mm. I've come across, not mine. No, that's great. But you're basically saying you didn't really see him. No, but we will because the covenant's made. Um, So at the end of the Bible, in fact, sapphire comes up again in Revelation actually God will be with his people and we will be able to look on him without fear. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, so why do we get to join in the covenant? If Covenant, sorry. Covenant. Why do we get... That was a bit northern. <laughs> sorry. Um, right. Why do we get to join in the covenant if it was made by God, broken by the people, and fulfilled then in Jesus? Yeah, there's probably a kind of technical answer to that and a kind of um, more heartfelt response to that. The technical answer is that Christ did fulfill the covenant. So when um, this covenant's made, uh, basically kind of the rest of the Bible whittles down the people um, bit by bit. So um, lots of uh, uh, the northern part of the nation, they fail, and so they go into exile. The southern part fail, they go into exile. And basically, like the bow tie I was talking about last week, it kind of whittles down and down and down to one true Israelite uh, one person who does live this law, uh, and that's Jesus. And as Christians, it's not that we just put our faith in Christ, although we do, but the moment we do that, we are joined with Christ. It's like, uh, be, I've spoken about this before, like being in an aeroplane. You're wrapped up in the aeroplane, so as the aeroplane goes up, you go up, as the aeroplane goes down, you go down. And it's the same for Christ. As he is obedient, we are obedient. As he dies, we die. As he pays the price of this covenant, we pay the price of this covenant, not because of us, but because of him. So technically, um, we have kept the covenant because we are joined to Christ and he's kept it for us. That's the kind of technical answer, but I think you just asked yeah, the question so again. Oh, so that was, um, yeah, how, how, how can we keep it if actually the people broke it and it's fulfilled in Jesus, which I think you're explaining really well. Yeah, but the heart, I guess the, the more sort of warmer answer is, yeah, um, why would God do this? Well, because he cares about his people so much and he loves so much that even when they break the terms of covenant and their blood can be demanded, uh, that he sent his son uh, to fulfill the covenant and to die. That's incredible. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Rob. Um, there's loads more questions, but no we worries. have absolutely no time. So um, we're, we, I think we're saving these and they're 
going to get released later. Great. That's right. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, everyone, for your questions.